Amen. Amen, church. Well, we're on a series right now, as you guys all know, upside down, having a kingdom, a kingdom world view. You know, if you're going to have a king, if you have a kingdom, that means you have to have a king. And if you have a king in a kingdom, then you have to have citizens of that kingdom, right? So Jesus Christ is king. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. And he has a kingdom called the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And he has citizens who are us, his children. And his children are spread out throughout the world. Amen? And you know what? He calls you kings and priests. So you are his children, citizens of heaven, and you are royalty. Amen. And you're spiritual. You're, you're priests. You're spiritual beings. And so we're, we're, we're trying to get an understanding of seeing that we are citizens of heaven. We have a king. How do we live out our life in accordance to how that kingdom is to operate? In Matthew chapter 28, our king said this in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The message translation or paraphrase puts it this way. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train, train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Hmm. So, so God has a way of life. Go out and train them in this way of life, making them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them to practice all of the things I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day right up to the end of the age. Hmm. See, Christianity has went through a period where we have, instead of... Um, following the mandate of our king to make disciples and teach nations, we have gave that up for conversions. You know what a conversion is? If you just say this prayer, then that's all. It, I can check you off my list and I don't, I'm done with you. See, discipleship and teaching is an investment. It's an investment into an individual. We are to be investing into people. See, because we are the ecclesia. Remember what the ecclesia is? The ecclesia is the church. And we are not the ecclesia, the church sitting here right now. We're the ecclesia when we go out those doors into the world and represent the king. That's when you become the ecclesia. So if you want to be part of the church, you have to be representing his kingdom outside these doors. We're, we just come in together as the body of Christ to be edified, built up, and encouraged to do his works in the world. We have been commissioned as the ecclesia by Jesus Christ himself with a mandate of teaching the nations to observe, to live in accordance with everything in the word of God based on the new covenant 
brought into being by Jesus Christ, God himself. See, this is the whole word of God right here. But Jesus is the word that was made flesh. So all our misinterpretations of this word is corrected when we look at it through Jesus. Do you understand that? Jesus is perfect theology. If you, know what, if you want to know what God is like, don't look to the Old Testament to get your idea of what God is like. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. God is like Jesus. Jesus is like God. They are one. We are a kingdom, and we are a kingdom in war. We are a kingdom in war, and the kingdom of sin, death, and destruction is working vehemently to deceive the nations in Satan's lies of death. Do you understand that? There, there, there are two worldviews out there. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we are God's plan. We are God's plan within the earth. And you want to know what? He has no plan B. So there, I have great hope. You want to know why? Because the word of God says in the end, we're victorious. Amen? Jesus is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. In Colossians, look at Colossians. This points this out. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you. See, the world's way of system wants to cheat you. It wants to cheat you from the life that God intended for you to have. The world's way, says, it says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. What's a philosophy? A philosophy is just a belief system on how you ought to live. Philosophy is a belief system on how you ought to live. We all have a philosophy, right? We, we've talked about this. We're all theologians. Every single one of you has a belief system about God, and we're all philosophers. We all have a belief system about life. So they're saying that, that there are individuals, there is a kingdom out there that is trying to cheat you through their idea of how you are to live with empty deceit according to a tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You see that? Right there is saying that there is another philosophy, there's another king, kingdom worldview out there that is contrary to Christ. There are two worldviews, the way of Christ and the way of the world. Each one of us has been taught our worldview system as we've grown. Do you understand that? All of us have a worldview. And that's why our minds need to be renewed. The reason our minds need to be renewed is because we've been taught empty philosophy. We've been cheated. Right? And we're taught through our experiences, we're taught through teachers, we're taught through our parents, we're taught through the church, a worldview. 
And some of us, because, because of what we've been taught and because of what we've experienced, it, our, these, these false, deceitful worldviews, it says that it, it um, sears our conscience like with a hot iron. Because we are all given, Romans chapter 1 and 2 talk about this, we're, we're all given the knowledge of God. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you... Every single person that has been born into this earth has a knowledge of God. They know that there is a creator. They know that there is a God. And they know that they're not Him. And that's our... The issue. We don't submit to his lordship. Instead, we say we will be like the most high. And we and and, and we've seared ourselves, seared our conscience in this process. And what we need the Holy Spirit to do as we go through these teachings is to soften our heart, to make us alive again unto the things under the things of God. Christ, but as Christians who proclaim Jesus as Lord, we are to submit our will, our views, our feelings to the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. See, once you become a Christian, you have to submit yourself, your views, your wants, your feelings. That's a big one nowadays, right? I mean, if anybody's been married any amount of time, you don't always wake up in the morning feeling in love. What would happen? What would happen? What would happen if, if uh, we went by our feelings when it came to our marriages? Well, some people do. They allow those feelings to build and build and build and build, and it destroys the marriage because they're controlled by their feelings rather than. Commitment, covenant, will. I will love you. When Jesus from the cross looked down at those that crucified him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, do you think he felt like doing that? No, he willed his love upon us. He willed forgiveness. But what's surprising is that not all who proclaim Jesus as Lord are willing to submit. And others have never taught, been taught the ways of Christ and are ignorant to how they are to see God themselves in the world in which they live. And that's why the church is, is so important. I mean, something you've got to change in your mind right now, you don't show up at, the, at church on Sunday morning for the church's sake, even though that your gifts individually, and you make up the body, and you guys are blessings. But understand that you have an opportunity to hear from God and have your minds renewed, be edified, 
and hear the words of life that will produce fruit. See, if, if we all showed up at church in, every Sunday, not out of obligation or out of religious routine, but with expectation that God has something important for, for me this morning, wow, it would just change the environment. It would change the environment. But there's lots of people that want Jesus as Savior, but they do not want Jesus as Lord. That's a big difference. They want the, the security of eternal life, but they don't want to live his life out on the earth. See, when you have conflicting worldviews, there's opportunity to be offended. And we've all been taught a worldview. And some of our worldviews are conflicting with the view of God, right? Is that, am I the only one that God, I, I learn something from God's word and I say, I've got to change some stuff. Or, and sometimes my flesh doesn't want to change. See, that's the thing of it is, is you've got to understand it's not our morality. When people say, you've got to stop shoving your morality down our throats, it's not my morality. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't choose this. It's God's morality. And there are things that I had to submit to that I, it, it took me a while <laughs> to submit. See, God's worldview has this effect on all of us because we're all fallen. And we all can be redeemed and brought into life. So I pro as I promised, when we started this series, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I promised you that there's going to be an opportunity for each one of you to be offended. And in keeping with that promise, we're going to move on to what we're talking about today. And today we're going to talk about life. Life. You know, in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hmm. You know, all roads, all religions, all belief systems lead to God. But only one belief system through Jesus Christ leads to life. We all will stand before God one day. But Jesus is the only one that leads to life, the life of the Father. Jesus says, I am the living water. He said that I am the bread of life. He says that my words are life. Jesus said that he is life and that he gives life to whomever he wills. In John 10.10, 10, it says the thief comes not, comes, comes except to, well, let's start that over again. How about that? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So you can say without a shadow of the doubt, Jesus Christ, Jesus is 100% pro-life. He's 100% pro-life. And if Jesus is pro-life, we have no other option 
than to be pro-life ourselves. Amen. And as we jump into this head first, you need to know that there is no sin bigger than the grace of God. There is no sin that's bigger than the grace of God. Look at what Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says. It says, moreover, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So why did God give the law? Why did he give his moral standard to Israel? So sin would abound. They would know how sinful they truly were because we have a way of, if we do not know what truth is, if we do not know what right and wrong is, we, we sear our consciences and we make excuses for our sin. So God gave the law, and it says, Moreover, the law was entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through, the, through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came to deliver us from sin. And the life we now live, we live in the faith of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the one that holds us in the bosom of the Father. It's his faith that sustains us. <laughs> Jesus has forgiven you of all your sin. And he wants you to live in his forgiveness. And part of living in his forgiveness and living in his grace is by not being held captive to your past. It's not being held captive to your past, but being able to forgive yourselves and then walk in newness of life. So although God hates sin, and the reason why he hates sin is because of what, if it, what it does to his children. You understand that? Sin doesn't bother God because he doesn't do it. Sin has no effect on God whatsoever. You know, in, in the Old Testament, it says, it says, talks about God and says, you, you, can, you can't even look upon sin. God can't even look upon sin. Read the next verse. He goes on to say, so why do you keep, why do you do it? See, we quote just the first part and say, oh, you're so sinful that God can't even look upon you. No, he's constantly looking upon the ones that he loves. God, sin doesn't affect God. So why does God hate sin? Because it affects us. It affects us. So God hates sin, but he loves his children. He loves people. He loves people that have been taken captive by sin. And gave, Jesus gave his life to free us from its present and eternal destruction. So I have a question. From God's perspective, when does life begin? See, as, a king, as, as children of the king, we need to know when life begins from God, our king's point of view. 
In Psalms chapter 139, verse 13, it says, You made all my delicate inward parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious, how precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. Would, you, would we all be able to say that and, and believe it, that God's thoughts towards me is precious? And he had those thoughts towards me before I was even born. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. Hmm. Can, you, can you number your days? Huh? I'm going to be 43 here in a couple week, days. Four days. 44. I'm going to be 44. <laughs> See? I mean, I can number my days. But do you know that the precious thoughts that God has towards you <laughs> can't be numbered? So he's had more than 44 thoughts towards me. Ain't that awesome? I mean, we can number the days of when the earth cre was created until now, right? We live in 2019, 2000, 2019 days since the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What did I say, days? Well, a day to the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years but a day. But anyways. So we can number that. But you can't number God's, God's precious thoughts about you. That's awesome. That's awesome. So God saw you. Before your body was formed, your life was hidden in God from eternity. And he has a divine destiny laid out for you from the foundations of the world. This tells us that from God's viewpoint, life begins before it can even be, be detected in the natural realm. You were birthed in God before you were birthed in your mother. And not only does it say that we started then, that life began then in God, but it says that God was intimately involved with, ch with a child long before a child comes out of the womb. See, those that are pro-death argue that a child is not va a, a valuable, viable life 
until it can survive outside of the womb. But by that logic, when does that happen? I mean, can a, can a 12-month-old, a one-year-old child survive outside of the womb independent from its parents or help? No. There's, there's some 25-year-olds that can't survive on their own. I mean, would, would we actually suggest that a one-year-old is not worth protecting? Well, just in recent months, we have politicians that have said that they believe that it's the right of the mother that to have the child, lay the child out on a table, and have a conversation with the doctor on what they should do with the child. Hmm. I believe with all my heart that future generations will look at those who were champions of abortion and those who stood silent, and that includes the church, choose silent, that they will look on these atrocities that are happening the same way that we now look on those who lived in Nazi Germany. Barbaric and soulless. These verses in Psalms 139 shows that God was involved in our lives before we ever came out of the womb. And from a kingdom worldview, it's a life. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nation. God knows us while we are still in our mother's womb. Here, here he says that about Jeremiah that not only did he know, does God know about him, but he formed him and called him to be a prophet to the nations. See, God has a plan for each one of us, a divine destiny for each one of us. But unfortunately, because of sin and our fallen nature, not all of us find his divine destiny. We have an enemy that comes to rob, kill, and destroy. I mean, for instance, you know, we all know that, that, that verse that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We even sing it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. There we go. Right? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know that every single day, God makes a day that you can rejoice and be glad in? But the problem is, is that we don't live his day. We choose to live our own day. God has a plan for us. It says that God had a plan for Jeremiah. He was called to be a prophet to the nation. God has a purpose and plan for all of us before we came out of the womb. Here's another scripture that says the same thing. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, But this is Apostle Paul. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I may preach him among the Gentiles. Paul almost did not carry out his 
divine calling. Because he was killing Christians. He was throwing them in a jail. He was bringing destruction upon the church, upon Jesus Christ. And God literally stepped in and gave him a choice. You make me Lord, or are you going to die? Because you're persecuting me. You're persecuting my church. And Paul submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And God revealed to him the many things that he would suffer for his namesake. And Paul chose the destiny that God had for him from his mother's womb. And he became, he no longer was named Saul, but became Paul, the apostle of the gospel. And God is not a respecter of persons. God does not, is not a respecter of persons. So each of us has a story written by God, a life that God intended for us to live that was written before we were ever born. First of all, you need to believe that. Some of you have believed the lie of the enemy so much that you can't even start to entertain the thought that God has a different life for you than the one that you've experienced. But he's the way maker, the promise keeper. Amen? The miracle worker. For people to discredit the miracle of life and say that it is nothing more than a hunk of flesh and promote abortion, they have, they have to be spiritually ignorant. But it's not just spiritually ignorance. They have to be intellectually and scientifically ignorant. When Roe versus Wade was passed, and they said that it's a right for a woman to kill her child, they said that it could not be proven if a fetus was a living being or just a glob of cells. See, up to that, up to that point, no one ever questioned. No one ever questioned if a baby in a mother's womb was a, a, was a human. It was just common sense. But common sense is so far Uncommon these days. And so when people question the Supreme Court from a legal standpoint, is a child within a mother's womb a living human? Science was not able to confirm it was, if it was a living human being. This is why they are so terrified for abortion to go back to the Supreme Court because science has finally caught up with Scripture. We know that a Bible will a Bible. We know that a baby will recoil and feel pain. With ultrasound technology, I mean, you ever see these 3D and 4D ultrasounds? 
I, I've, seen, I've seen one where a woman was blind, so they did a 3D printing of their ultrasound. So she got to feel what her baby looked like. Ain't that awesome? Technology is cool. It, 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 and so they can't say, they can't say that it's just a glob of cells anymore. They can't just say that it's just a hunk of meat or flesh. With ultrasound technology, they can see that a baby is a separate human being. A baby is not part of a woman's body. It is separate. It has separate DNA. Most of the times it has a completely different blood type. It's separate. It's a separate human. In day 22, the baby's heartbeat begins to beat with the child's own blood, often different type than its mother's. And in week three, a child's backbone and spinal column and nervous system is forming. The liver, kidneys, and intestines begin to take shape. In week four, a child is 10,000 times larger than the original fertilized egg. In week five, eyes, legs, and hands begin to develop. In week six, brain waves are detectable. Um, mouth and lips are present. Fingernails are forming. In week seven, eyelids, toes, and a distinct nose form. The baby is kicking and swimming. In week eight, every organ is in place. Bones begin to replace cartilage, and fingerprints begin to form individual fingerprints unlike any other person's fingerprints on the face of the earth. The baby also begins to hear. In week 9 and 10, teeth begin to form. Fingernails develop. The baby can turn its head, frown, and hiccup. In week 10, a baby can breathe amniotic fluid and urinate. Well, that's more than I want to know. But in week 11, the baby can grasp objects placed in his hand. All organ systems are functioning. The baby has a skeletal structure, nerves, and circulation. In week 12, a baby has all of its parts necessary to experience pain, including nerves, spinal cord, and thalamus. Um, vocal cords are complete. The baby can suck his or her thumb. In week 14, at this age, the heart pumps several quarts of blood through the body every day. In week 15, the baby has adult taste buds. And in, uh, in, in month four, the, uh, the uh, bone marrow is now beginning to form. The heart is pumping 25 quarts of blood a day. By the end of, the, of month four, the baby will be 8 to 10 inches in length and will weigh up to a half pound. In month four, the bone marrow is be, be, beginning to form. Oh, we already read that. In week 17, the baby can have dreams and, and experience REM sleep. In week 20, the baby recognizes her mother's voice. This is also the earliest stage at which partial birth abortions are performed. 
You have to reject sound science if you look at all the evidence that we have today and still say that a baby in a womb is not a living human being. I have a challenge. This is going to be rough. I have a challenge for those that say that they are pro-choice. I want you to go onto the web and I want you to Google Silent Scream. It's a video of a, an abortion that takes place when a baby is 11 weeks old. I mean, if you're going to say it's a woman's choice, at least have the integrity to know what you are giving them the right to do. Go on Google and Google images of abortions and post them on your social media and say, this is why I'm pro-choice. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it because you know that it is a child. You will stay away from it. You, you get mad when people put it in your face because you know. At least has some integrity. And I do not lessen the pain of those that have experienced it and, and, and understand that there is forgiveness and there is hope in Jesus Christ. And, and I believe with all my heart that you will meet that child again because it was a life you will still have an opportunity to mother and father that child. You will know them. And they will know you. We as a church, at the same time as we stand for righteousness and truth, we can't lose compassion and hope. Because we have people nowadays that make statements and they don't even know what they're, they're just doing it just trying to cover the pain. They make statements like, my first abortion was the best one I ever had. Or they say, my third abortion was the best one I ever had. You know, movie stars and actors. and it's, it's a, They're lying to themselves. And we have to be able to offer hope in that they don't have to live in the past, but they can move on in Jesus Christ into a future. And that even in abortion, it's not the end. It's not the end. There is no doubt, though, that it's a human baby and that, it had, that, that abortions is a human baby that lead to a horrific action of its life being taken from them. Not only from Scripture, but from, from a scientific stance, a child in the womb is a human being filled, filled with life. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah, 
and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist. And the prophecy to, to Elizabeth was that, that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And John the Baptist, at six months old, leaped for joy. A hunk of tissue does not have emotions. It does not have joy. But John the Baptist, at six months, leaped for joy at the presence of Jesus. I'm telling you, that baby, John the Baptist, at six months, had more life and more joy than many of you sitting in here during worship this morning. He was a living human being with emotions and filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, if you claim that Jesus is your Lord, how can you get around these scriptures? Six million. 69,971. Since the Supreme Court handed down its 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, over 60 million lives have been taken through abortion. And this is just in the United States. To get a perspective, if you combine the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and if you combine them all, you'd have a combined death rate of 1,110,563. If you take the morality out of the equation, there's still other reasons not to have abortion or not to have abortion legal. Let's say that you just take morality completely out of it. You know how many people I hear on a regular basis complain about Social Security? That there's not enough money for Social Security. Well, first of all, maybe we'll talk about this That's what you get for trusting the government to take care of you. I could have a lot more. If I had that money that they take, tax me every week for for Social Security, just put in a simple Roth IRA, I'd have two, two to probably close to four times as much. 
But we complain that Social Security is, 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 is failing, it's, it's faltering. Do you know what would happen if we had 60 million additional people in the workforce today contributing to Social Security? It wouldn't be insolvent. So the people that are complaining about Social Security and your pro-choice, it's because of you. It's because of you. I'm sorry, we're reasoning together. We're just doing common sense. The comedian Dave Chappelle. Now, I don't know Dave Chappelle's belief system. I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't even know if he's pro-life. I don't know any of these things. But in his last uh, comedic um, movie or show or whatever he did called Sticks and Stones, um, I don't rec recommend that you go listen to it unless you want to hear a bunch of swearing. But that being said, in his last comedic show, he caused a huge stir in the pro-death camp in the pro -de with pro-death people. Because what he was talking about, and I'm not going to do it in the comedic way like he, he did, but, you know, there's a stigma on deadbeat dads, right? That it's immoral for a father to father children and then not support those children. And he says, and I understand my body, my choice, right? My body, my choice. But I think that if you get that right, your body, your choice, I should have that right. My money, my choice. Again, I disagree with both of those. I disagree with both of them, but what I'm saying is the rationale of the kingdom of darkness is so twisted, it does not work, and it sends our culture into a down-world spiral. So if you if it's culturally wrong to say that a woman does not have the choice to kill its child then it should be equally culturally wrong to shame deadbeat dads. But in a kingdom worldview they're both wrong. See We as followers of Christ need to educate ourselves when it comes to the form of birth control that we use. You know, Hobby Lobby was in the news and under attack because they did not want to provide birth control for their employees. Now get this, Hobby Lobby, which is a Christian company, they're a Christian company. They walked into Oral Roberts University. Oral Roberts University was a million and something in debt, and they wrote a check for Oral Roberts University and, and, and paid the debt completely off. Hobby Lobby, like Chick-fil-A and other, other companies, are a Christian, a Christian organization. They're not open on Sunday. 
Why? Because everybody deserves a day off. They're not so greedy that they have to feel that we need to work seven days a week. And God's blessing them by only staying open six. Now, Hobby Lobby, last time I checked, they start off at something around $14 an hour for retail. That's huge for retail. And their full-time employees before Obamacare or the American Health Act was put in, into um, being, they already paid full-time employees medical benefits. But when the government come in and made things so much better, and by the way, the people that say that no one lost their health care through Obamacare, my family did. So anyways, when the government put in these restrictions and mandates upon companies, they took it to the Supreme Court because they wanted them to pay for birth control. It's not that they didn't want to pay for birth control or they were against birth control, but they were against the type of birth control that they were being forced to pay. Because now all birth control is equal. And we need to know what we're doing. As followers of Christ, we need to educate ourselves when it comes to birth control. There are types of birth control that allows an egg to become fertilized. The explosion, that's really what happens when when an egg is fertilized by the seed. There's an explosion of life. Have you ever watched the video? It's awesome. It's a miracle. There's an explosion you know, out of, the, out of the billion little swimmers, you're the one that made it. That's awesome to think. You're a miracle. You're one in a billion. Your life was a miracle that you, you were the best of the best. And, and, and what happens is there's types of birth control that allows the egg to be fertilized but then, once it's conceived, that it, it, it does it does certain things that that the, the that the conceived child is not able to survive in the early stages of conception. You understand that? One that is very popular is the morning after pill. The morning after pill. Understand that in the eyes of God, if you had a successful impregnation, that is a life. It's a life that he has already became intimately involved with. And you would be ending a life. There are other forms of birth control that do the same thing. We're not against birth control. And we're for self-control. But we need to be educated and not do things just because they're of the ease of our life. Another argument that people say, many, many people say that people are pro-life but are also for capital punishment. How can you be pro-life and pro-capital punishment? But what you need to understand 
The reason people are for capital punishment is because they are pro-life. Let me explain this. When you place the punishment for the most horrendous crimes as the ultimate punishment, death, you actually elevate the value of life. You understand this? I got a question for you. What, what shows a greater value for life? Five years in prison for a person that raped, tortured, and murdered a person in a, a horrific manner, or death of that individual? Which one elevates life higher? Right? I mean, it's, again, it's common sense. The thing of it is, is, is that they have to be found guilty without a shadow of a doubt, with, with DNA results and all of those things. And it's reserved for the most heinous, heinous of acts and crimes. And even though that might be the law of, the, of our lands, that, that does not negate that God's grace can still reach them. Even the thief on the cross Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Actually, capital punishment is there to save lives. Not only as a deterrent to people carrying out crimes against other individuals, but also to save the lives of the people who would be held accountable for their horrific crimes. It's a fear factor. It's to keep people from doing things by putting fear on them. Also, it's a terrible comparison for abortion is taking a life of a defensive, innocent life that had no choice in the matter. Capital punishment is carried out by individuals that understand the penalty of their choice and their crimes. Since 1976, when death penalty was reinstated in the U.S. Supreme Court, we've had 1,499 people that have been executed. So as you can tell, it is reserved for the most extreme cases. Compare that to 60 million innocent lives that have been taken in about the same amount of time. Planned Parenthood, that's, that's a big one that's in the news. A lot of people don't take the time to research things, and Planned Parenthood was founded by Margaret Sanger. She was a huge supporter of eugenics. Eugenics is a set of beliefs and practices that aim to improve the genetic quality of the human population by excluding certain genetic groups judged to be inferior and promoting other genetic groups judged to be superior. She was a huge supporter of the Ku Klux Klan. Here are some of her quotes. We desire to stop at its source the disease, poverty, and feeble-mindedness and insanity which exists today, for these lower, lower the standards of civilization and make for race deterioration. We would have it, we would, ha we, would, we would make it 
a law that children should be brought into the world only when they are welcome, invited, and wanted, that they would arrive with a clean bill of health and heritage, that they would possess healthy, happy, well-mated, and mature parents. Every single case of inherited defect, every malformed child, every um, congenital tainted human being brought into this world is of infinite importance to the poor individual. But it is is scarcely less importance to the rest of us and to all of our children who must pay in one way or another for these biological and racial mistakes. Who gets to decide? She gets to she she gets to decide. The government gets to decide. Margaret Singer was a racist and a big supporter of the KKK. You might think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with us today. She's no longer she's no longer around to carry out carry out her racist ideology. <laughs> but we have politicians that say how much they admire her. And those that are running for president that that actually call abortion birth control. It's a form of birth control. And we didn't need to, they, they literally said, we need to make sure when they were talking about the question of um, overpopulation in the world, which is a lie, overpopulation in, in the world, they, he says, what is, what is, what's the answer to overpopulation in the world? And he said that we have to make sure that women in third world countries um, are not hindered from having choice and the ability to have birth control. He's not talking about birth control as you and I think of birth control. He's calling abortion, the right to choose to murder your child, birth control. It's the same thing. That Sanger said. So although she might not longer be here, her evil beliefs live on. And we see that it has been successful. Her belief system has been successful. Seeing that in Recent years, New York has had more aborted African-American, black American babies than that were born. Abortion is racist. It's propagated and it's promoted and it's advertised and it's marketed Jesus himself was born into a life that may, many would have said that it would be wise to end it before it started. Jesus was born under a scandalous conception. Unwed parents, the father not even claiming to be the father, under poverty, Jesus' parents were middle to lower middle class until 
The Magi showed up and just poured wealth into their lives. He was born into poverty. He was born into a system where the mother herself could have been stoned to death. Under brutal living under the standard of Roman government bondage, being forced in her pregnancy to travel long distances to be registered by the census. Everything about Jesus' birth pointed to those that are pro-death that this child should be eliminated. But he was born and became the savior of us all. You know, it's not enough. It's not enough to um, put a law out there to make abortion illegal. We as the church has a responsibility to give hope, education, and support to those that are in need and in crisis pregnancies. One of the things that we do as a congregation and as the church is that we give regularly into positive alternatives. I, we, we, we do significant, but we, I would like to do so much more. Positive alternatives is in Cairo, the county seat of Tuscola County. We need to put our money where our mouth is. Some of you might be called to... to, to uh, um, be a mentor or to, or to serve in positive alternatives. We need to do our part to build the kingdom that Jesus intended to be. Can I worship team come up? As we close, I want you to Listen to this story. There was an abortionist that lived out his life on earth, doing his job up to the day that he died. And when he got to heaven and stood before the scales of justice before God Almighty, he could already see that it wasn't going to be favorable for his case. And so in his God-hating anger, he accused God. He goes, you're going to hold me accountable? You're going to hold me accountable? You're going to hold me accountable for what I did? You're God Almighty. You sent people to, to, into this earth to, to uh, invent fancy phones. You, you sent people in this earth to, to um, be rock stars and movie stars and insignificant things. While people were dying of cancer, of AIDS, where, where there's poverty, you know, where there's war. You, you sent all these people to do this stuff that's really meaningless and you never sent anybody to take care of the real problems in this earth. And God, with love burning in his eyes, looked at him and said, I did, my son, but you aborted them. Let's pray.
You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.